You found Waffle, the bite-sized podcast with Paul Jenkins. This was originally broadcast on Rossendale Radio on the 8th of December 2019. And on this episode, you've got an interview with Tony Horn. Paul Jenkins here with the Weekend Wind Down, and we are into our waffle segment. Uh, and uh, there's there's a, a moment here in the in the studio. This is a it's a kind of Darth Vader Luke Skywalker moment where I'm sitting in the other chair uh, because my guest this afternoon, um, you will know him from uh, from many many other times here on the radio. Good afternoon, Tony Horn. Hello. Hello. It's, it's, <laughs> this is the afternoon. This is what it looks like in the studio. Yeah. Is it, it's a different different version of events. Never seen it before. Never seen it. Before. Never seen it before. <laughs> is it, uh, how how is is it not not having the control over the buttons that? no that's fine that's <laughs> fine i mean you know this may come as a surprise to people but i have no interest on being uh, in being on the radio um but you know we own a radio station and um you know i've worked a long long time in radio so therefore needs must um but i think you know what we're about to talk about is where where my heart is i have said some of the stuff you're going to ask me i'm mm. sure before but probably a long time ago and probably some people don't even know so <laughs> um yeah i mean you know broadcaster by by day writer by night indeed and that's uh, and particularly a type of writing that we've not had on waffle so far in that you're a ghostwriter and that's a lot of people won't even understand that term and about what it actually means to, to be a ghostwriter what, where does that sit in the kind of you know is it fiction writing is it is it, is it factual writing and biography where do, where, do, where do you sit on a shelf well <clears throat> i did a, a tv show uh, about three or four years ago mm. and i realized about 10 minutes into it that um people didn't know what a ghost writer was but essentially you are you are a writer um but you are writing for people who for whatever reason and there are a few mm. cannot do the business themselves so those reasons could be um lack of work ethic um lack of belief um many people if, if you're new to this conversation, I'll better explain, but if you've heard this before, you know, the first big book I ghost wrote was for a blind guy, so there's an obvious issue there. Yeah. Um, but essentially, you're dealing with autobiographies, or you're dealing with people that are at the centre of a new story. So this time last year, um, and I come with nothing to plug, by the way, I've, yeah. I've just come to <laughs> chat. Um, yeah. But this time last year, I'd written If Only, which was for Terry West. And Terry West was, uh, and is, the brother of Leslie Ann Downey, one of the Moore's murders victims. For almost 60 years, he's hardly spoken. Um, I think I have the numbers right there. But uh, he, you know, like the McCanns, mm. found himself at the centre of a global news story and was unable to to express it so you know if forgive me an x-factor winner i've done mm. someone at the center of a story like that but yeah i have actually ghostwritten a fiction too yeah. um but you know why would you ghostwrite a, fi a fiction why wouldn't you do that in your own no name you'd only ghostwrite a fiction if you needed some colossally uh, famous person's <laughs> profile yeah. that didn't have the time to write it you otherwise you would write it in your own name i think i, yeah. I think that's the thing is that you've what what's 
clear from what you've told me before is that actually it's it, it's a jobbing writer in the same way that we've we had uh, somebody who was copywriter for websites for example working particularly with businesses you know you you deal with the clients on the basis of what they need and that may be a, a you know a, a fantastically long in-depth biography or it may be a, a snapshot you know piece of i, I don't know i don't know whether you, you know stocking fillers and things like that coming up to christmas there might be a kind of I'm more than a, a stocking filler yeah, darling I'm, I'm, well of course i mean but you know what was it Terry? i don't know what's going in your stockings <laughs> but i've got very large stockings uh but it's but you know i mean there's there's those that kind of like you, you they, they you inevitably get coming up to christmas you get you yeah. massive you know influx of books in the, the was it the october you know that that yeah. special period in october when there's something like a super tuesday or a super That's monday or something in october Mm. I mean, you know, a couple of points on that. Mm. Firstly, I I was very lucky, but you make your own luck. And what I mean by that is that the first book that I did had natural momentum. I'd written before, mm. uh, but the first book as a ghostwriter um, was the David Rathband book, Tango 190. David Rathband, a name that people do not remember, the policeman that was shot and blinded by Raoul Motor, a name that they do remember. Mm. And David took his own life, um, Leap Year's Day in 2012. And I was essentially, you know, his last friend on, on the planet. But we'd written a book together. And that book obviously had profile. And from there, so I've come in at a certain level. Mm. So from there, I get the guy that won the first X Factor ringing me up saying, will you do my book? Yeah. And I'm not really jobbing so to speak um because i was able to go in at that level but obviously there are some things that i write for people that i know are not going to be a commercial success but they will pay me well you know to to do that and these could be business people for example who um won't sell zillions of books but they like to go and do conferences and they like to say my book is available in the foyer mm -hmm. and it gives them a bit more kudos you know on their linkedin profile or if they're ever interviewed on a, a cnn it'll say author of how to make a million dollars in 15 minutes and all that <laughs> so there's various reasons for for doing it but um i don't think um you know at, at this point i'm not really sort of uh, jobbing um but um, what was the question again? I'm off. It's a waffle. He's off. He's, he's on I'm a waffle. waffle yeah. uh, well, I tell you what, we're going to do because we're going to we're going to split the interview into three because uh, one of the things that we have during this uh, segment with our writers uh, is that uh, they get to choose some music. Desert, Desert Island Disc style. Of course, uh, we're not stealing any formats from any other uh, particular uh, radio stations that might be available. Um, but uh, you came back within seconds. Uh, within, I, I asked you what what your three were, which kind of implies to me that you thought about that before well that's a really smart point um i have thought about it on and off obviously over the years and i mean this will come as a real surprise to people that listen to the radio um but when you work in radio you become almost immune to the emotional connection that music can make simon um, and garfunkel was our first one so what's that connection for you? yeah well this is a massive a song and a massive i mean I, the song that we've picked i i I slightly picked it because it's the shortest one, so I knew we could get <laughs> get on talking. But there's a series of Simon and Garfunkel tracks that played a huge role in my life in about 1987. Mm. Uh, the Boxer, obviously, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Homeward Bound America, uh, Duncan, a Mother and Child Reunion, and Only Living Boy in New York, all of these great songs. Yeah. And... Um, essentially, I mean, this is a bizarre story, but I was doing a paper round when I was 15 in Surbiton in Surrey, 
um, where the good life was was set. And one Sunday morning, I'm walking along, and I can see this woman walking on the other side of the street. And I'm thinking, I know that person, I know that person, but I keep going. And it turned out to be my grandmother, who I hadn't spoken to for a, a long time because of my parents' divorce. And she rang the house in the old days when people rang landlines. Mm. Um, and I ended up going to see her, um, a terrible, bigoted, racist, homophobic woman. But um, a family. <laughs> yeah, no, a terrific woman. And I, I make that comment um, yeah. actually just sort of marking the era that she grew up in, you know, rather than criticising her. No, yeah. And she gave me all my dad's records. And my dad had moved to Peru where... He'd remarried Carolina Mindro de Sabat, <laughs> and uh, he didn't really have any relationship with, with me and my sisters. I took his records home, and then that summer, July 87, at the age of 15, I flew to Lima on my own uh, to sort of seek him out. But it was really the Simon and Garfunkel collection. If anybody has the vinyl, it's the one where the guys are on the beach. It's pretty much orange, the, the greatest hits um, cover mm. and and then of course as you go through adolescence and you find words and I you know I was a linguist I did languages at university and you think of the words that Paul Simon in particular meticulously crafted um, if you've ever had any anxiety and depression and feelings of isolation and solitude you'll find the answers in I am a rock <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel, I am a rock. Uh, you're joining us on the Waffle Hour on uh, 104.7 Rossendale Radio. It's part of the weekend wind down. I'm Paul Jenkins. Uh, Tony Horn is in the studio with me, uh, and we've been uh, we've been having a chat while Simon and Garfunkel have been plinky plonking away on the guitar there. Uh, just uh, just I think it's more than a plinky plonk. No, it's, it's basically they sat down, they had a noodle around one afternoon, and came up with that. There's half those songs that, that I've, I've read about. They, they, they were prolific in terms. of... I mean, we're going to talk about being prolific in a second, but you know the the, the amount of oh, yeah. uh, of output that they were they were coming together with. I think it was some sort of, was it Sound of Silence that they wrote in the car. I think I don't know, like but, this, but when I was away, I mean, I really cut off from everything. But I saw a tweet from Andrew Lloyd Webber, and without leaning any way politically, um, I thought that's absolutely brilliant. And what he wrote was Paul Simon summed it up. A man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And I thought, you can say that at any point in any era, and it still resonates. And obviously, he's talking about, you know, the political situation at the moment and the campaigning and fake news and all of that. And Paul Simon wrote those words probably over 40 years ago. Which song? A man hears what he wants to hear and disregards... The Boxer, I think. Yeah. Uh, possibly. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, but it's universal. That's the thing about good writing, is if it's universality... Well, it's timeless, can, isn't it? it? Yeah. If you can make something timeless and you can make something that people are going to connect with whether they're in their 80s or when they're in their 30s whatever that's that's the good sign of a good writer well i mean you, you absolutely spot on and you make me smile there because i nearly picked the boxer and this is <laughs> i love telling this story but the boxer live uh, by simon and garfunkel the central park concert in 1981 has the missing verse in it and they've only ever performed this a couple of times and it includes the words so whether it's a 30 or an 80 year old <laughs> i'm older than i once was i'm younger than i'll be that's not unusual nor is it strange after changes upon changes we're more or less the same and i've always thought that's tombstone material mm. you know that's that's a cracker yeah. 
I, I get this one when when because uh, I, I I do ch- children's poetry right I lark about in a stupid hat in front of kids and they they ask me how old I am and I was like well how old do you think <laughs> they said well you behave like we do <laughs> and, I, and like on the inside I am still an eight year old kid there's the, there's no difference to me now than I was on the, that eight year old child yeah um, you know it's just I've got bills to pay now <laughs> um, uh, now we were, I was going to ask you about uh, the the anonymity side of of ghostwriting about whether that how you feel about it more than anything else about I because I can't understand as a writer getting a group uh, getting a, a body of work back from a publisher and then it not having your name on it despite the fact that it's your toil your hours that have gone into it I mean how does how does that sit with you how do you cope with that mentally <laughs> well um, <laughs> or is it an issue for us it's, it's an issue for me because of my ego but I I'm I struggle with with that kind of connection I think um, I would give you an answer to that that is different to every other ghostwriter in the world. And the reason that I would do that is because, you know, um, I did 18 years of breakfast shows on pretty big radio stations in this country, um, mostly in the northeast uh, on Metro Radio and 2001 to 2004 on Century FM, which is no longer with us. And... You know, particularly in the Northeast, I won't say that people owned me, um, but people knew my business. And, you know, I had a car with my name on it. People knew where I lived. Um, people thought they knew things. Mm. And that really uh, is not me, and it's not the life that I I want. I, You know, as a kid, I just I loved radio, less so now. <laughs> but there are obvious things that come with performance industries, and one of them is going public. Mm. So to be a ghostwriter and to let somebody else, you know, like my dear friend David Rathband mm. uh, or Terry West, the brother of mm. Moore's murders victim, you know, take the spotlight is something that I smile at the pleasure of. Now, when I'm writing... I will be very, very public but subtle. So I will, you know, I'll put stuff on Twitter like, it's 1965, Mm -hmm. you know, we're off to the fair. So that's a reference to Mm -hmm. the moment that Leslie Ann Downey was was abducted. Um, You know, what could I possibly be writing? So I I sort of try and reel people in Mm. uh, to where... You know where I'm going with the narrative, but at the moment that um, a book is released, you have to let the subject be the star of the show. And you know, a couple of personal experiences dictate that. Firstly, we've probably all read a sports autobiography um, where it's such and such with such and such. Um, there's a former Sunderland footballer called Kevin Phillips who played for England. Yeah, um, fantastic player. Yeah, and he, I think he won the Golden Boot. But he, yeah, that's a few seasons on the trot, I think he was, it was 30 goals a season every year. Yeah. Um, now, I read his book in about an hour and a half. Uh, it was that bad. Um, <laughs> and I also went to a ghostwriting conference in, in Long Beach in, in California. Um, and I was in a room with some really smart people, but... The Americans like to ghostwrite, and they like to... There's always a with on the front cover, so the ghostwriter is really, you know, uh, possessed about getting their name in in lights. And I just think, well, what's the point? Why would you want to undermine someone's book by putting your name next to it? I mean, I have a little section in the back, you know, what they call the dust jacket, the cover. Um, and, And I... 
I've never ever touted for any work, but people have found me, yeah. and I have that trust in people that read books that they will that they will find me. And I think that you don't undermine the book by going public. And as I say, um, you know, having had a public career, I'm more than more than happy to hide. It suits me spot on. You know, <laughs> I think it's uh, to be honest. I think that's. Uh, is is really quite telling about what you were saying about about having that you know people have had a, a piece of Tony Horn already mm. they they now need a piece of whoever it is that you're writing about and that's actually their their moment I think that's it yeah it's a, it's a great way to it's a brilliant way to look at it um, we're going to move on to uh, your second choice uh, Steve <laughs> Winwood uh, and you've got to, while you see a chance of all of the Steve I mean there's a big back catalogue there but uh, where, where, where did this one come from? I can't tell you uh, I, so, sometimes they're just like I like that one <laughs> yeah I think it's um, if I'm honest um, the guy that gave me my first job on the radio is a guy called Chris Carnegie and this would be the summer of 1990 so I'd been at Exeter University in 89 uh, 89 to 93 and the first summer comes around and I didn't really know what to do. And there was a radio scheme sponsored by Miller Light <laughs> and this organisation called the Radio Academy. And they were supposedly going to place 15 young hopefuls at radio stations. Now, at Exeter University, I was doing the breakfast show with Simon Viger, who is Channel 5's royal correspondent. And Vig said to me, why don't you come to Ocean for the summer? So Ocean was Ocean Sound, which is now Capital FM, I think, and it's basically Hampshire, South Coast. And uh, I went down there, and I hated it. Um, but Chris Carnegie, who is a bit of a legend in local radio, gave me my first spot on the radio. Um, you know, I'll clarify that. I mean, he's the guy that when Scott Mills, who many people know, was 15, mm. he put Scott on the radio. And he's just recently branched. Yeah, he's, he's covering on Radio 2 and moving on to Radio 5 now and doing all sorts of things, I think, as well, Scott Mills. He's, uh... Yeah. Um, I mean, Scott and I lived together for, for a bit, and, um, you know, he's a great guy. He really is a, a fantastic guy. But Carnage, Chris Carnegie, uh, who ran the radio stations in the South Coast... Um, introduced me to this song and i mean there's various stories associated with it that are of that moment and aren't in interesting for the radio but i've always loved the song and i've i love the intro i love the way it builds um and i like obviously the ethos whilst you see a chance take it it's a slow starter but bear with us <laughs> That was Steve Winwood with While You See a Chance on 104.7 Rossendale Radio. Uh, Paul Jenkins here. This is the third part of our interview with Tony Horn, who's here talking ghostwriting and all of the uh, various facets to it. Uh, and we were just uh, we were just sort of having a very quick chat about uh, about client relationships and about how you actually hey we, we you've spoken about how people may approach you and they sort of you know find you via you know previous work that you've done and doing detective work I suppose to be able to to, to uncover you in the first place. Um, but I mean you've obviously got some sensitive subjects 
that you've you've had to approach, uh, and obviously without breaking any confidence. Like the X Factor, well, the, <laughs> the X Factor guy. I mean, was was probably a very very tricky uh, person to deal with, um, of, for different reasons. I'd have thought. Well, yeah. Um, but you, I mean, there must be those moments where you're. I, I mean, do you go to people's homes to talk about this, or do you find places where people will feel comfortable outside, or they can? they come to you is that i've mostly written in the field of crime or celebrity Mm. um but i i say to people i will write on anything apart from northern ireland or middle east politics or anything (laughs) extremely medical um and you know the reasons for that are it's just not my bag you know Uh, i did nearly do a medical book there's a guy called alan condon who is a former uh, gb athlete who ran at the olympics he's from the warrington area and he is involved in a long-running dispute with the health services in the bristol area his son ben died and uh, there are many cover-ups mm-hmm. and I had 700 pages in my garage for a year, and I said to him, I'm going to start in January, I'm going to start in March. Mm. And I didn't do it because um, I thought it would take its toll on me. And some books um, do take their toll on you. The David Rathband book, um, I, well, became the only person to speak neutrally about him after his death where his family were fighting the family also was suing the police and northumbria police um well how can i put this i believe tried to silence me Mm. um and uh, there is that consequence after the event that you find yourself as the bearer of truth and the representative of the story um so in answering the question about methods of working etc i tend to meet the client once um david rathband was different and i would always go to his his house we lived in each other's pockets Mm. um he lived up in Blythe in Northumberland, and at the time I was doing radio show up there, and I but but living in Cheshire, and so I would go up for three days a week and do two shows a week from Manchester. So I would basically I had time to kill, so I'd go to David's house. But mostly Steve Brookstein, who won the first X Factor, it was totally bizarre. I took a train to London. I met him in Cafe Rouge on Euston <laughs> Station. Um, we sat there for about two hours. We never paid the bill. I squirted a whole load of mayonnaise, embarrassingly, onto his trousers, um, (laughs) which looked awkward, and I got the train home, and we worked via Skype. Now, this is important because I prefer to work via Skype with people because it gives them the the idea that they're going to work. Now, one of the biggest problems with people that try and write books is that it has to be an afterthought in their day. They have a job. They have a life. uh, But you have to get them to go to work like a man who's self-employed that builds a shed at the end of his garden and he physically goes to work i get people locked in a room at the other end of a skype connection and i do exactly the same and that that ensures they don't play with their phone they don't play with their microwave they don't (laughs) respond to the cat or the kid and they they create and i install that sort of professional mentality I did a book with a guy called Craig Summers who was a BBC bodyguard who's got some incredible stories. 
and Craig hired a house in Coventry because it was sort of halfway between the two of us. And you know, he was walking around pinging the microwave. I'll just get this. Yeah. His phone would ring, and I was somebody um, pick up a parcel at the door. <laughs> yeah, I'm due to be going this autumn. Just gone to Norfolk to. Um, a guy's second home there to write his book and i i said no i'm not doing that mm. i'm not doing that at all and they think it's you know they're providing me with a luxury scenario where i can totally relax but um you have to create that professional zone um to see a book through from mm. start to to finish i think as well is you've you it seems that you've got to deal a lot in empathy but it's got to be an empathy that you can switch on and off because you've got to be able to you've got to be able to empathize and to understand because you've got to write in their voice but at the same time it's it's you know you've also like you were saying earlier you've got to get two thousand words out by x time and it's a it's a job to do it's a, you know yeah um if you get a lot of ghostwriters in a room they will talk quite pretentiously about finding voice well it's obvious really i mean you as a ghostwriter my rules are i ask people what happened although i can quite often find that out independently yeah. and in the case of writing about the moors murders i found out a lot of stuff that the family didn't know and i then had to put it to them mm-hmm. some of you know myra hinley's applications for parole for example mm-hmm. um the family weren't aware of no. which is shocking because but, but because they weren't necessarily told and why would you be looking for them that's the that's yeah the thing and that's that a situation it's a very old story that went through several home secretaries yeah. several changes in le- legislation technology but essentially the key to ghostwriting is what happened and how did you feel about it mm-hmm. action and emotion the story and your reactions to it now here's here's an interesting thing um which might surprise people but I write for men and women. I have literally last night just sent off a book to a lady um, whose whose work I've finished. Some people in the Manchester area may may know her. Um, we've not actually discussed whether I sort of blow the lid on it, but <laughs> she's been the subject of a Channel Four show. Um, she's an extremely connected woman from um, Prince Andrew. <coughs> <laughs> um, down uh, you know to gary neville and yeah. gary barlow and um I, I won't say any more but she actually said she wanted a bloke to write for a woman and i mean i think i've i've lived a lot of my life surrounded by um a lack of male if you like i mean i grew up with my mum and my two sisters and i think I, I probably do have a feminine side but at the end of the day you could find yourself writing for a foul-mouthed cop which david rathbound was mm-hmm. you could find yourself writing for an x-factor winner steve brookstein um you know you could find yourself writing for somebody who's almost been muted by their own story terry west the moore's murders so you, you, you find so a way to be the distiller for that aren't you and the, the, yeah that's the that's the voice it's that 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 truth that that speaking communicating voice that you've got to be for them if you, know? you if you have a good storyteller steve brookstein is a very very good storyteller um you can be a transcriber you know you can be a glorified secretary if you're dealing with somebody like terry west who was supposed to take his sister to the fair and Ian Brady and Myra Hindley abduct her and he never sees her again. She's 10, he's 14. He's still muted by that experience. And I won't 
go as far as say you have to put words in his mouth but you have to understand that person's thinking and the words they don't say mm. and i've become quite wise to tapping in early in a conversation to people's heart and people's head and getting that combination of the two on paper i think it's yeah. a it's a it's definitely a skill i can i I'm, honestly i've had to i've had to tell you that we've, we've we're coming up towards the end and i could honestly we could we could talk about this all day <laughs> and if it wasn't for the fact we have a radio station to run <laughs> we've very many I got, things to I've got dinner in. in the oven and you've got dinner in the oven uh, we can, I, I, there's a little bit of me wants to say can you come back when we next well, time you finish the project and we'll talk about it again because this is there's there's a world we could talk we could talk about uh, I, if i can for a minute i mm. don't like uh being interviewed on our radio station as a as a guest when obviously i you know mm. i front the radio station in the mornings um but this is me now as the other me and i do know that the ghostwriting conversation could go on and on and on because every question brings a whole load of other experiences and as a result what i've decided to do next year is i'm going to run a course online secrets of a ghostwriter mm -hmm. which will be a mixture of practical stuff for people to get started writing as a ghost or as a writer mm. but also some of the stories that you know i've sort of alluded to to here um so there you go you did have something to plug well gonna, it's which is good yeah is. but you know i say it now at like <laughs> quarter to six on a sunday night in december and i'll be back in in march or april or may or june um you know whenever whenever that comes to fruition but well, it has, it has been absolutely fascinating talking to you, Tony, about it. Um, uh, we've got Echo and the Bunnymen to finish yeah. uh, before we before we uh, leave there. Uh, nothing lasts forever. Yeah, I so think that's just, it, isn't it? Just being apocryphal there, is this? <laughs> I just love this song. I don't know why. Um, I can't give you a story. Mm just think it's a great great song well it's a fantastic song to finish with uh thank you very much uh this uh, this conversation will be part of the waffle podcast next week uh, our conversation last week with elkalo and sean smith uh is now live uh so uh, if you search on podbean for that uh then we can uh, we can get that to you and also uh this will be uh, live next week during the show and uh, we'll tell you about how you can get this conversation with tony tony horn thank you very much for your time in the studio this afternoon And so we come to the end of another bite-sized podcast with Waffle. My thanks go to Tony Horn for coming into the studio. Uh, it was great to see you sitting on the other side of the microphone for a change. Uh, and we could have talked for hours about ghostwriting and all your experiences with authors. Um, my thanks as ever go to you, the listeners, for, for tuning in. Uh, and to Lee Ball and Melanie Kemp for their work on the production of Waffle, the bite-sized podcast, which is, of course, produced in association with Russendale Radio. We're going on the road next week. We're going to be meeting somebody outside the studio. So new territory for us there as well. Hope to see you next week.